and then it was like Q&A time. They probably budgeted about 10, 15 minutes for Q&A on his report. One full hour of people chiming in saying, I am so glad you're running for re-election. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for Olympics fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? One year to go again. <laughs> I got my blue Gatorade. I am ready. They're not a sponsor. I know. <laughs> but it's what I had available. All right. For- All right. Well, you got to hydrate because it is hot and muggy. Like here... With one year to go, boy, was it muggy outside today on my bike ride. I really felt it. And then I thought, training, training for Tokyo. Yes, it is bad here too and very buggy. Are are bugs an issue in Tokyo? Like, is it a very buggy city? I don't know, but that will be interesting. Well, you're going to gonna find out. Mm-hmm. So, yes, one year to go, the Tokyo Organizing Committee had another celebration today. Very muted, very short and it involved the Japanese swimmer Rikako Ikie, and she walked into the Olympic Stadium, stood in the center with the flame in the lantern, and gave a speech. And uh, it was very moving because she's on her comeback from leukemia and is training for Tokyo again. And she talked about being grateful for like everyday having everyday movement that kind of thing and being grateful for the little things and that you know we get another year and we've got all these healthcare workers doing their best for us and we'll get through there stronger one of the japanese newspapers and i'm sorry i don't i don't have the reference made a point of her appearing with her short hair because obviously through her leukemia treatments she probably lost all her hair and she used to have longer hair And how it was a big deal for her to appear with the short hair. Oh, very interesting. that was making a statement. And yeah, definitely have your puffs ready. We'll put the link in the show notes for the video. It's a... Uh, Yeah, I bawled. I, I cried so hard and it made me so sad. There's a moment... They show a lot of clips from 1964, which was really cool. Very fun. And we just spoke about that. We just recorded book clubs. So we were talking about that. Right. So that was really interesting. And then kind of near the end, they showed the interiors of several of the stadiums with the video of uh, Rika Ko on the screen continuing her speech. And I, I lost it. I was so sad. To the empty stadium. Yes. Yeah. It was beautifully, beautifully done. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was right on point, right tone, right person to do it. It was just outstanding. So that also, even though it made me sad, it made me happy mm-hmm. in the sense that clearly the Tokyo Organizing Committee has their stuff together. Oh, they yeah. know how to, they are handling this 
like absolute pros. Mm-hmm. So that gives me hope. Does give me hope. Do you think she'll light the cauldron? Oh, well, I don't know. Now that she's done this, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Cause I've wondered, I've, I've wanted to start doing research on the big Japanese athletes throughout Olympic history and how they'll be involved in the, the cauldron lighting portion mm. of the opening ceremonies, because for at least for us, you know, when it's not an Olympics in our home country, or maybe even a country we're more familiar with, we, we don't always know who the person is that is lighting the torch. And we're kind of reliant on the announcer right there to tell us who the person is. But I kind of want to do some research and see who could possibly be lighting the cauldron. Yeah, I, I have to agree. It would be similar to when Sydney chose Kathy Freeman in it, it, for their Olympics to a current athlete. Usually it's a historical, iconic figure, but they went with an athlete who was actually competing at that game. So Tokyo could go the same way. They could go somebody from 64. They mm-hmm. could, I mean, they have so many options. So yeah, I think that's an excellent project for us okay. to make some... Place your bets on. <laughs> oh, speaking of placing your bets, you know, put a pin in that because we're going to get to it in the oh, no. the IOC session. But before before we move on, we are having uh, some one year to go fun tomorrow, the twenty fourth at twelve Eastern. We're going to have a Zoom call, so come in and Zoom with us. And at eight PM Eastern time, we will also have another Zoom call. This is new. We had to figure out how to make this work. But uh, we're going to watch the official film for Sydney. Email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com if you want to be in on one or both of those events. But basically for the evening, we'll put the official film on. uh, We'll all have to start it on YouTube and watch it together. And then Zoom, we can be together and watch it. And I want to know what snacks people are bringing. There you go. So let us know what you're bringing. We'll have links to this on the socials throughout the day so please let us know if you want to be there we and uh we would love to see you the zoom call on uh, at noon is going to be fun we've got a couple of shiklastani's going to be there so i'm very excited to see them again and it'll be fun to see a lot of you have signed up as well and we're so excited to see you it's so sad how excited i am about this (laughs) i don't think it's sad we get to we get to interact with the listeners it's gonna be fun i know So this week was the IOC session, which is usually held right before the games, but they had to hold it virtually this year. It's one of their big annual or semi-annual meetings where all of the membership gets together and they kind of talk about the big issues and vote on the big issues that are happening within the IOC. And because it was virtual, they pretty much just aired the whole thing. Right. Which you don't usually have full access no, unless you're there. Like usually I think the media gets to go and watch, but they are there inside the, well, it would now be at Olympic House, I'm sure, but they would be watch, be able to watch the proceedings. So this year, since it was virtual, they put the whole thing online, which I was very excited about until... <laughs> Until about I realized it was five hours. <laughs> no, I <laughs> no, it started at about six in the morning our time. And it was noon Lausanne and it was in the evening in Asia. 
I mean, if you're literally dealing with every single time zone in the world, it's going to be super early for some and super late for others. So, you know, anyone who's based on the West Coast of North America, they had to get up at three o'clock in the morning to start. Exactly. So it was inconvenient for everybody but T-Bock. Yeah, yeah. You're, I mean, but even so, if they had hoped for a morning meeting, because that just took up their entire afternoon. So. Yeah. So yeah, it was a meeting of sacrifices all around. Tebach opened it up with a report, the president's report, and it was pretty rosy. But he got into a little bit of, hey, we're getting toward a trend of using the Olympics as a political tool again. And he talked about protests and boycotts. And he said, and I'll quote this, some don't want to learn anything from history. And I think he's referring to... All you know, and it's we're also right at the 40th anniversary of the boycott of Moscow, 1980, which he has said just it proved nothing. It it made it had no accomplishment except for hurting athletes. Well, he was he competed in 76, mm -hmm. so he was right in the midst of you know he was still right. in yes, his still career. and yeah, so he was very active in 1980. You know, right. that was central in his athletic career. And, you know, there has been so much talk about Rule 50, mm -hmm. and not allowing for protests on the podium. And it's something that we talked about when sort of this Rule 50 discussion started happening is once you allow one protest, you have to allow them all. Mm -hmm. And once you open those floodgates, I, I totally see where T-Bock is coming from. Once you open those floodgates, you cannot close them again. And the athletes should not be muzzled either. And how are we going to do both? Mm -hmm. And he, he said there in his report, you know, Rule 50, we give athletes multiple opportunities to express themselves, just not on the field of play and just not at ceremonies. Unfortunately, from the athlete's perspective, there's the thought that those are the only two opportunities I really have to get the attention I need. But it really is, you know, where is the fine line and what, because you don't really want the Olympics to become one big protest in a sense of many protests. It's going to be all a protest, you know, kind of like I, I thought today about the stadium in, in 1924 with all the advertisements and they nip that in the bud. You know, it's going to be a stadium full of protests. Right. And then does it, one, diminish the Olympics and it's and the purpose of it, and two, diminish the statements the athletes are trying to make if you are one of hundreds? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the biggest concern is if you allow one protest, you have to allow them all. And are people literally going to be protesting against the values that the Olympics are supposed to embrace? Could, in theory, athletes protest against the inclusion of women? Right. Or against the inclusion of certain countries or certain minorities? Well, we'd have to allow that if you allow the opposite. Or maybe not. Maybe they put the, the statement saying you cannot protest anything that violates the Olympic Charter. But then you get into the whole fight of it. So I understand the difficult position that the Olympic Committee is in. And something that 
Tebog also said was, here are our values. This is what we support. He made a very definitive statement previously about saying, we support human rights, we support equality, um, we support inclusion. So I, I, I can see both sides of it. And finding the diplomatic way to do it. And I, I'll tell you, watching this IOC session taught me a lesson in diplomacy, like, oh, I forgot how this is how you're supposed to act in a diplomatic way it, with how the poll meeting proceedings went. And that was good to see that whole. We don't see too much of it right now in the United States. And I'm glad they're they're not shying away from it. no. And they, they were saying that, you know, hey, the Athletes Commission is working on this. They're starting a dialogue amongst themselves where we want to see what they come up with. Because even the athletes are disagreeing with one another mm -hmm. as to how this needs to be handled. So it's not an all or nothing. It's not like the athletes here and the IOC is here. Everybody is struggling for a way to make this work with a very complicated and diverse constituency. How can we come up with something that's basically going to make everybody unhappy? So that's how you know you've succeeded. That's because true. Everybody you know. needs to compromise in right. some fashion. Right, right. So we shall see on that. Uh, the other big point I got out of T-Box report was that his claims with the Olympic Games are that we are walking the talk. It's the only event that brings the world together in peace, solidarity, and without discrimination. Okay, it it is the only event that brings so much of the world together. I give them that. They try to do it in peace. They try to do solidarity. But that discrimination bit, because then he followed it up with non-discrimination has been at the core of the game since Pierre de Coubertin. And <laughs> you kind of wanted to say Pierre didn't want a single woman there. He didn't even want them in the stands. Right. And I don't think he wanted uh, working class people there right. either so it's sort of like in the all men are created equal right except of, you of know american tradition that it's all men who own land and are what so yes non-discrimination has been at the core but what non-discrimination means is very different now right than what pierre was thinking <laughs> and the fact that pierre would be horrified makes me happy <laughs> And I'm not even going to mention Avery Brundage. But you did. <laughs> not going to mention him. All right. Nope. But the big news from T-Bach is that he is going to run for re-election. He's going to run for a second term. His first eight-year term ends next year. And he gets a chance to run for another four years. So he decided to throw his hat in the ring. And then it was like Q&A time. They probably budgeted about 10, 15 minutes for Q&A on his report. One full hour of people chiming in saying, I am so glad you're running for re-election. And it seemed quite genuine. It didn't seem like we're, we're ego stroking the president. It seemed like they were very pleased. Maybe they were very pleased that somebody was willing to do this incredibly <laughs> difficult job at this juncture right or thank goodness you want to stay in the role so we we can have that continuity right but if anybody does want to run against him like you just went up against an hour of thank goodness where you're running the elections are going to be next spring very likely next year we'll have two ioc sessions one in the spring and one at tokyo 
So they're planning for the election in the spring and then recommend that the president start right after the Tokyo Games if there is a new president so that there's games continuity and they've got time to transition to the new person should there be one. And one of the delegates very tactfully made sure that Mrs. Bach had uh, approved of this continuation. <laughs> so I thought that was great. One of them was teasing about, did Claudia approve of this? And and he said, yes, I have my wife's blessing. And he said, the, the delegate said, yes, I, 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 not, I support Claudia. <laughs> so it was like, as long as Claudia said it was okay, then he was all for the second term. Right. And this, I mean, like the, the full hour of this was in, in one sense, it was like, oh my goodness, this is rough to sit through because I'm very tired at this point. But on the end, it was slow because it was virtual. And you know that everybody would have just been able to push a button and say hi, because you did have to go through, uh, can you hear me? Can, can you hear me? Or we cannot hear you. We cannot see you. But, and then, then you could see T-Buck get a little embarrassed. He was very grateful for the support, the overwhelming support that was coming out of the, the different monitors. But at the same time, like after like four or five of them, he's like, uh, okay, this is great, but we got to hurry. <laughs> we we got to move on. You know, we're, and then, and then he had like 10 more. But it was also great to see everybody's room that they were Zooming from. We learned so much about the delegates. Yeah. Of the, of the committee, just what rooms they were in. And it was, you know, who had pictures? Someone had a picture of, of herself with the Pope very prominently displayed in, in, in her room. And other people were clearly just like in nondescript offices right somewhere right where they so, did yes, the hookup. somebody had a torch on the wall it was nice prince albert prince wore albert. an atlanta 1996 tie <laughs> yeah there were some ties there were some pins i think one of the women had a, an olympic scarf on it was like okay you dressed for the occasion i love you for that right and then there the was the princess age. royal in her denim jacket i know princess anne of great britain just and she's sort of known for her recycling of wardrobe. Like she will wear a coat from literally forty years ago, and number one, it still fits, which is awesome. And number two, it still looks great. Mm -hmm. And so there she was in her denim jacket, and I'm thinking to myself, 1990 at the latest. <laughs> but see, I don't know if I've ever heard her speak before. Oh. Or just little tidbits, but man, is she smart. And clearly, I mean, I know she, she was an athlete. Her daughter is an athlete, um, an Olympian. Her first husband was an Olympian. So her love of this is so deep and pure. And the way she spoke about it just was so touching because she's not an emotional woman. She doesn't show a lot of emotion, but just the intelligent and detailed way she gave that report. Mm-hmm all came through, which was fun because I've never seen her. I've never been able to see her in this role. Hmm. So that was fun for me. All right. In her 40-year-old denim jacket. <laughs> looks so sharp, Anne. Looks so sharp. So then they got into a whole bunch of reports. And uh, I got to say, Dick Pound was right. He said we would not get a report from all these people. The only commissions who gave reports were Tokyo 2020. Everything else was 
you got the report. We're voting on it. Do you, do you have any questions? Okay, we're going to vote to accept the report. And that just blew my mind on how, how quickly the rest of the, the session went comparatively since they had so much to go through. But their, the ethics report was kind of interesting because I did not know this. There is an information and intelligence sharing platform called the Integrity Betting Intelligence System, or IBIS. And this is to combat manipulation of competitions. And they do a lot of intelligence gathering around this. And there's communication with lotteries and with sports betting operators and authorities just to make sure that competitions stay or, or maintain their integrity. I think I just found my next career. <laughs> I want to be an IBIS spy. An intelligence gatherer? Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting to try to figure out like, oh, hey. What's the, what's the line on this? Well, I'm thinking more of my outfit. And what would... Okay, so I definitely have a, a black trench coat. Okay. And I would wear my little Olympics scarf. Okay. And, you know, the dark sunglasses, possibly Olympic ring sunglasses. Those might be a little too obtrusive. And then here's the key, because, you know, all spies have to smoke. I would have the lighter that looks like the torch. Oh, okay. Flick it and it would look like the torch lighting your cigarette. <laughs> Very well then. And the music would play when I come in the room. We'd have to think of like, like not usually you'd have the Olympic fanfare, but that's not. But like, you have to have the Olympic like love song or the, the. Yeah, on the synthesizer. Oh, okay. The Olympic fanfare, but it has to be on a synthesizer because that sounds more spyish. Okay. <laughs> All righty. Musicians get going on that. <laughs> So then we had the director general's report, who's basically the executive director of the IOC, the big, the, the salaried man in charge of the IOC offices. And he said that the IOC is doing some belt tightening all around, that they have cut costs by 30%. Directors are foregoing bonuses this year, even though they've had a much higher workload which I thought was very interesting. And one of the IOC members said thank you to the staff for doing that and taking those cuts. The IOC is offering interest-free loans to international federations and said that the National Olympic Committees are going through some pretty extensive crises right now. So the whole pandemic is really putting things into a, a tailspin financially. Hopefully it won't be too much for too long. One interesting point is when we were talking about the, the new norm and Agenda 2020, where they wanted bids to be less money, the cities who bid for 2026 spent $5 million versus $35 million spent on bidding for 2022. That's, That's significant. Huge. Mm -hmm. That is really significant. I bet $20 million of that was printing costs alone. Oh, I know, because then all of a sudden they were saying, we're not going to print them, we're going to send everything electronically. Right. Well, and then they cut down on visits and, and things like that. It's it. I mean, that is that is a lot of money, and I'm sure that cities still look at things and go, oh, that's a lot of money to put into a bid. However, comparatively, they're making a lot of progress. Though, the one question I have is, were the number of cities comparable? Good, good question. 
Because say if you've got seven cities and then now you've only got three cities, of course your costs are going to be less. Right. Well, and then you also have Beijing in the mix for 2022. And my feeling about them and the Olympics is that they will spend whatever it takes. Right. And we're never going to know. Right. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to see. I think you can probably do a better comparison to see what happens for 2030 for the winter bid and uh, maybe 2032 for you can compare that to the race for 2024. And then the top Olympic sponsorship program, they've got 12 companies signed through 2024 and Procter & Gamble re-upped their sponsorship through 2028. You can keep buying puffs. So then they moved over to Tokyo and uh, the Tokyo organizing committee spoke. And then John Coates from the commission, the, uh, the IOC commission spoke as well. So they confirmed all the venues and the schedule. The schedule is out now if you haven't seen it. That was one of the biggest things to reconfirm. And John Coates said that, you know, you had like 42 some venues to to square away but the big thing that he he noted that was kind of news to me was the olympic village putting that together was a consortium of 11 companies and they had to get all those 11 companies on board for getting the village can you imagine doing that in the united states (sighs) you'd still be talking about it 11 years later yeah so i was a little disappointed in john Coates' report not the content the content was excellent but he just, he must have been tired. I know it was really late for him. Yeah, wasn't well, the and, usual John Coates. Well, maybe he's very diplomatic in those meetings. Maybe he has a session Good face point. that he puts on. Which is interesting because now we've seen the other side of John Coates. Right. And, not going rogue. And, you know, near the end of the meeting, T-Buck put a little zinger on John. Did you hear that? I don't think so. Oh, he said, uh, he uh, John Coates had another report that he had to give. <laughs> And he, he did it really quickly. And, and T-Bach told him, thank you for showing how precise lawyers can be if they're not paid by the hour. Because oh. <laughs> T-Bach, of course, is still like, we got to get back on schedule. You know, because Coates is not usually terribly verbose. He says his crazy stuff quick. <laughs> so I think that was a little unfair of the president. Mm. I mean, they're just showing a little, a little IOC... Personality. Ribbon. A yeah, little. a little ribbing. Also for Tokyo, uh, the flame is in safekeeping. We did see it for the one year out. It's still burning, and they're going to move it to the Tokyo Olympic Museum at a later date. And then basically for, they've got, they said that all volunteers can still have the slots and the assignments that they had before. The torchbearers who have been selected already have priority. And if you have tickets now, they'll be valid for next year. If you can't go next year, they're giving refunds. So that's all very nicely handled, I think. But they did say, hey, we're probably making this torch relay thing a lot simpler. Which makes or, sense. Safe money, smaller crowds, all of those things are mm-hmm, appropriate. Mm-hmm. So and, and John Coates added that. None of the cost cutting that they're looking at is going to be on the sports or the athletes. It'll be all surface level stuff. So I I think they mentioned around September is when they'll have more news. I think they have another commission report then and meeting then. So they'll have more decisions at that time. But they got the hard stuff out of the way first. 
And then now they're also prepping a whole bunch of different COVID scenarios as well. So that's right, a lot of work. Because we still don't know what's, you know, can we have big groups together? Can every country travel? Mm-hmm. Can, we just don't know. Oh, God, these organizers. Are they sleeping? I, I hope so. Oh. And one other thing that was actually reported in the Kyoto News, the marathon swim course is likely to be moved. They say that there are some changes predicted in the tide level, so that may uh, affect the conditions so much. So, well, I remember that the triathletes were complaining about the uh, the temperature of right. the water. But I, I guess the water depths in parts of the the current course could be about a meter shallower on the new dates. Right. And that could, yeah, I, you know, just the, the difference of one year or day or so, I haven't compared the two schedules yet on how that's, if that's staying on the same day, but you know, just the fact that the tides change throughout the year. I'm not a sailor and never have been. So this is amazing that something so, and what's amazing is the level of detail because of the one year postponement. Right. You know, on the one hand, you think, well, we just move everything back a year. Mm-hmm. The schedule is going to be the same. But the depth of the water for the course changes. Right. Which then makes the water heat up faster. Right. And so there you have something different. So now the local organizers in FINA are reevaluating the course and hopefully they can move it within the same precinct in to- Tokyo Bay. Just a little little over, but they're working on that. Maybe they should move that up to Sapporo, too. Because <laughs> at least then the two things will be together. You know, it's been so long since we mentioned the moving of the marathon course. I know. Our novella has been canceled for COVID. <laughs> Just like all other television productions. Mm-hmm. They were closed. Right, right. Oh, man. So then... Remember when that was all we had to worry about? I know. That and the heat. And <laughs> So then... The rest of the session was pretty quick, but we had access to the the different reports for the next several games. So Beijing, their plans are moving along really well. They've put out the call for metal, torch, and uniform design, which actually went out in June, I think, sometime. We, We missed this. I think one of the things I realized is that the postponement of Tokyo is totally dominating everything Olympic news wise. And while... Beijing may get a bump because people will still be thinking about the Olympics after Tokyo. All of their preparations just get muted. You know, their one year to go celebration is just going to be like, what? But their summer Olympics this year. Yeah. But on the other hand, there are a lot of human rights groups that have been criticizing China. So that also takes some of that light shining on them for that reason. Some of that is is not as bright either so it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out keeping an eye we will be keeping an eye on beijing Mm -hmm. now that we realized how things are getting lost in the tokyo shuffle right right oh maybe that should be the dance (laughs) remember they had the clapping dance right right they had that tokyo beat thing Yeah, yeah they need a tokyo shuffle there you go so also for beijing their new speed skating oval called the ice ribbon is finished 
And they've gotten the main structure of the sliding center and the three Olympic villages finished. Some infrastructure work has been done, like there's a high-speed rail and a new highway that really cut down the times between the different areas where the games will be held. So that'll be pretty good. They've established the Beijing Institute for International Olympic Studies at the Capital University of Physical Education and Sports. One thing I noticed in the report is that Alibaba is working on a ticketing system that will have a fully digital enabled ticket solution. And this is something that they want to be able to do in future games as well. So I'm wondering if this is the elimination of the ticket and the elimination of the authorized ticket reseller. Oh, I don't think it would be the elimination of the reseller because they still have to sell them but they just don't physically have tickets. Right, which if you wanted a a souvenir, that's one souvenir you miss out on. And, oh, you could get a digital ticket that could be designed, but, you know, the form factor of that might not be, uh, it might be obsolete in a few years. So like the posters have fallen away. Right. As very important symbols. Right. So... There's that, but it, it, it really did sound like they wanted to simplify the ticket process so that it wasn't so expensive for the organizing committee to do. And I wonder if it's working with all those ATRs, because there's a bunch of them, right? to do all that ticket buying and selling, how that will shape up in the future. So Maybe I don't we'll know. it will have our tickets embedded in our fingers. <laughs> put a little chip in your finger. Yep. And then you just touch it. Hey, Disney has those bracelets and they know exactly what you just ate. So (laughs) I don't see why we can't do the same thing. I'm sure they would love to. Well, that's something to keep an eye on as well. They said that other elements of 2020 are going to impact 2022. The start of the torch relay will probably be impacted. They will not launch the official game song at the same time as they had planned on. And then their Chefs de Mission seminar is going to be at a different date. I was thinking about Marnie McBean, who we spoke to uh, several months ago, and thinking now her job has been extended a whole other year. Mm-hmm. And that her responsibilities really ratcheted up because there was so much need for a voice of the athletes. And then the second Chefs, kind of jump in and then have a short it's going to be an interesting handover and will people end up sticking around in that role longer because they've had this extended role that's a good question that'll be interesting to to see we'll have to check back with marnie and see how she's doing with her added year of service that'll be interesting and i mean there's something that is in November, which is a week long, uh, they call it the World Press Briefing. And it's basically four or five days of press people go to the city and they get toured around all the venues and they get to become familiar with what's going on locally so that they can better report it. But that's mid-November. You talk about going to Tokyo for a month or two if you're going to cover both the Olympic and the Paralympic Games. Then you'd go back to Beijing in November. It just gets to, and then back to Beijing for the Olympics. And it gets to be very. I'm tired just listening to that. I know. I know. And that's so, assuming we can travel. And assuming that your organization has the money to do that. So right. if there are budget cuts for the media, how much coverage are they going to get ahead of time? 
So I don't know. That'll be that's another kind of interesting element, at least to me. I'm never going to know what time zone we're in <laughs> for the next year and a half. Paris 2024 is reducing their village to 14,250 beds. They will start construction of the village in 2021 and finish it in 2023. And they've got some engagement strategies for the public. They're going to start something called Le Club, which is going to be a connection. I assume this is going to be an app, but there's going to have a series of challenges and ways to stay connected with the Olympics. But basically, one of the things that they they mentioned was you could potentially win a spot in the first ever Olympic mass marathon through being in Le Club. Oh, oui, oui. So that that would be cool. <laughs> so that's launching. That is launching soon. I thought this was interesting. They did some financial analysis and confirmed that the costs for Tahiti would be comparable with other surfing candidate towns in mainland France. How is that possible? My hypothesis is that they only looked at the actual competition. Not moving people. Yes, that would be my thing. Because it's, it, there's already uh, surfing competitions in Tahiti, so they they know how to put the competition together, and they probably have a lot of the things that they need there I mean, just the IOC drink bill is going to be insane. <laughs> well, they get a per diem. I mean, those umbrellas don't come cheap. No. And then another thing that they're looking at to cut costs, because they've also been told to cut costs, is that they're looking into outsourcing different elements of the event delivery. So they're going to be doing a test with table tennis and handball and golf and gymnastics to see if outsourcing some stuff will be cheaper. They didn't go into details of what elements would be outsourced, but I'm guessing they figure that, oh, if we push these costs over to an event management company, it's going to be cheaper than putting it on ourselves. Well, yeah. If we don't account <laughs> for it, then yeah, somehow it's cheaper. But then you also have the, well, you, you know, once you outsource, you lose kind of some control. Like me on a surfboard. <laughs> oh, Milan Cortina. Poor Milan Cortina. They have not done much. Are we surprised? No, not surprised at all. They said, they said because COVID-19 really hit hard in northern Italy, they've had to do pretty much everything virtually and get up to, uh, they're starting to get running. But they did say they are having trouble getting the short-term financing and money economic resources they need for the first few years of their operation. So that is something to look at. Yeah. I mean, we all know that the entire country just had to shut down mm -hmm. and all their tourism is not coming back anytime soon. So to be fair, I mean, we were joking when Milan and Cortina were chosen that, you know, this budget was blown before they even started. And they really have been dealt uh, quite a blow. Yes. That is, to be fair, not their fault. Right. So it's it's very worrisome, I think, that they are having trouble getting off the ground. The one thing in their favor is that many of the venues that they're using already are used to hosting world championships and World Cup events. So that will be easier for them to handle but it's that groundwork th 
the groundwork stuff that they have to get done. But they're working on it. They'll they'll also have another meeting, uh, another report in the fall. Just ship the limoncello up from the southern coast and we'll all be fine. LA 2028, their report was pretty quiet because they are intentionally keeping a low profile in the media. They're going to wait until the end of 2020 because uh, to start really talking more because they're developing some brand related elements with that mean, whatever that means. They also had uh, a youth sport agreement with the city of LA and that was supposed to start this fall, but it, got, it has gotten postponed due to COVID leading up to the games. They say they're investing 160 million in youth sport in the area. So that's interesting. I know we don't talk about the Youth Olympic Games, but I wanted to talk about it since it was postponed. And there were a couple of very, I thought, very interesting things in there. One is that I did not know the average age in Senegal is 18 years old. Of the population? Of the population. Wow. So having something like a Youth Olympic Games... Makes perfect sense. Yeah, that would be very attractive to a good chunk of people. Yeah, right? Huh. The Youth Olympic Games seems to be where you look toward now for what sports could be on the Olympic program because we've got break-in and sport climbing came through the Youth Olympic Games uh, platform. So they're going to have 28 sports plus break-in, the Kumite uh, discipline of karate, skateboarding, sport climbing, surfing, the Taolu uh, discipline of wushu, and Baseball 5, which is a new game. How in the world would you play baseball with five players? It is interesting because it is a smaller field. It is basically set up where you could play it on a concrete pad. And you kind of chalk out or tape out an outline. There's a wall in the back, so you don't really have uh, uh, an outfield. And there's no pitcher. So... And there's no gloves or anything. So you basically have a rubber ball and the batter kind of bounces the ball and hits it with their hand. And that's what sends the ball out into the field. That's not even stick ball. No. That's not even t-ball. No, but it is baseball. It is not Because you have bases and you have a ball. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) I do not accept this. Okay. Well, it's in your discipline. I'm not even that much of a purist when it comes to that. But to call that five, call it a different name. Like the three-on-three basketball. That's basketball. You're just scaling it down. But the principles are the same. I think they would argue, I think baseball, softball would argue that the principles of baseball five are the same. Where you have fielding techniques and you have a ball and you have base runners and you score. You run around the bases to score. But it was it's it's very much a game developed for an urban setting, something that's cheaper to put on. So we'll we'll see what they do. Wushu. This was interesting, I thought. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Okay, so so I had to do a little <laughs> a small I did a few I, I looked into this a little bit to figure out what this was. Wushu is another martial art and it's got a fighting element and a forms element much like karate has kumite and kata so the taolu is the forms portion of wushu now in my mind how i i tried to equate this was it is like the rhythmic gymnastics of of martial arts is it very pretty well they do choreographed routines with 
different like swords there are several different swords or like you have a fist or something it's it's multiple like apparatus and you can do singles i think i saw a routine that had two people there do might they be light something... any of them on fire no oh. not in the handful of routines i watched but the fl- a flaming sword how cool would that be spinning that baby around We've transported the flame and the lantern from the cauldron to the wushu venue. Yeah, you light it with the Olympic flame and you got to spin it around. Oh, come on. That sounds amazing. But I will say the it was cool to watch. It was really cool to watch because they are doing the, you know, basically the the spins in the air where they're fully laid out and they're almost horizontal. Yes. That kind of thing. And then they'll land in the split. Okay, let's put that on the ice ribbon with the flaming sword. <laughs> Have a whole gonna... fire and ice thing. You can make it a winter sport. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Come on, that would be the coolest thing ever. Everybody would want to do that. <laughs> the costumes that could be involved. Maybe it's something for an opening ceremony. Maybe Beijing 2022 will do that for us. I want flaming swords, Beijing. Get so, on it. The Youth Olympic Games have been postponed to 2026. They've got some venues that need a lot of renovating. And it kind of worried me when I read the reports and was like, oh, you need a lot of renovation to a lot of stuff. And it's 2020 and you're supposed to have this in 2022. Where are they getting the money for this? Well, the French Development Agency is loaning the government the money. Oh, that's going to end well. So that's interesting on multiple levels. Mostly, you know, A, you've got government loans to a development agency, but B, France is paying for two games at once. Ho, ho, ho. Exactly. Uh, One interesting note from the Youth Olympic Games, Gangwon, in 2024, where they're going to use a lot of, reuse a lot of the Pyeongchang venues, but the Pyeongchang Legacy Foundation is starting to get up and running. And what are they piloting? Suharang and Banda B sports camps for youth. Oh, we're going. <laughs> I mean, we're short enough. We might be able to blend in with kids if we just die. I should, you know, dye the gray out of my hair. We could totally, and just do a lot of the Korean facial care. Oh, right. K-beauty. Yes. That way you'd look younger. Yes. Well, we'll need a face mask. They won't even know. I know a hat and a face wanted... mask, and we will totally not stand in the back. They'll never see us. <laughs> I mean, they may see me when I go and I tackle Bondaby and give him a big hug, but that's okay. They'll forgive me. I'm an over-enthusiastic American. <laughs> oh, I have to go. That sounds great. Just you could do anything and call slap the Suharang and Bondaby label on it. Totally sold. I know. Stupid mascots. So and then big votes were the fact that uh, there are five new members of the IOC. And then John Coates was elected to vice president in the executive board. Now, he is one of other several vice presidents. He is not the successor to T-Bock should anything happen to T-Bock. That Not is the first runner up. That is the role of the first vice president who this uh who is now Anita de France. And this will be the second time she's had that role. 
Right. So former American rower, most well known for her fight against the boycott in 1980. Mm -hmm. And she has become such a stalwart of the Olympic movement, which is so amazing. And then Dick Pound, because he's the longest tenured IOC member, he got to give the closing remarks from his book filled and piled office. Which I loved. I loved seeing all the books and paper around. Oh, Dick Pound. He did not clean up for this meeting. No. He's but like, then he's you're like, he's... he doesn't care anymore. He's been doing this a long time. He's thinking. He's reading. He's got projects. He's Dick Pound. <laughs> Nobody's stopping him. <laughs> so that was the IOC session. But it, it was interesting, and I'm glad I got to see it. Very grateful to the IOC for making that session virtual for all. Learned a lot. Yep, definitely, definitely. Well, let's move on to our Team Keep the Flame Alive update. Welcome to Shukvastan. On Wednesday, July 29th, our uh, snowboard cross athlete Alex Diebold will take over the Team USA on Instagram and share a day in the life of an athlete. So he is part of Teams USA's Giving Week. They're doing a thing here, and I would would not be surprised if other national Olympic committees are trying to do something around the one year to go. And a lot of national governing bodies here are working together to try to raise money, basically, to offset the losses that they are experiencing from not having the games this year. So he will be doing that. Airbnb is also having kind of a week of Olympic experiences that you can hop on some uh, virtual meetings and uh, Zoom calls with Olympic athletes and do different things with them. So Shiva Keshavan is talking about his life in the Himalayas and teaching people how to cook Indian food. Uh, Lauren Gibbs is talking about her life lessons from her Olympic journey. And Josh Levin is going to be doing a rock climbing class. So we'll have links to all of those in the show notes. They all vary in price from about 15 bucks to $35, depending on the day and time and the person. Josh said that his is going to be ongoing, but for this month, 20% of his proceeds are going to Climbers of Color organization. Very excited. There's a ton, and there really are a ton of the Airbnb experiences out there. If you've done one, let us know. I want to hear what they're like, because I would imagine your mileage may vary by the topic and the athlete involved but some of them do look really cool and especially now that they're all virtual originally these were in-person events right and now they've switched all virtual like everything else except for Mm -hmm. beach volleyball is competing in person that's right without spectators that's right our uh, beach volleyball athlete kelly clace and her partner sarah sponsel finished third at the first avp championship series competition since the pandemic. So good for them. That was exciting. Yeah. And they're going to be competing the next several weekends. Oh, okay, good. So that's something to look for. Yes. In other Olympic news, sad news from the Moscow 1980 Olympics, the creator of Misha passed away. Misha's dad died. Uh, His name was Viktor Chizikov, and he was a children's book illustrator. Very sad that he died right around the 40th anniversary of the opening of the Games, and he was 84 years old. Does have one of the most beloved mascots, I would say. My niece is crying right now because he just heard. Aw. Thank you, Manu, for posting that in our Facebook group. The U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Museum in 
Colorado Springs, Colorado is set to open on July 30th. So that is exciting that that will be open to the public. Finally, it had been delayed a couple months. I know they wanted to open at the end of May. And a nice note in USA Today was that the uh, project was estimated to have cost 91 million bucks. And comparing that to some Associated Press reporting in 2017 when they broke ground, 15 million over budget. Well, it is the Olympics. And then a, an original drawing of the Olympic rings sketched by Baron Pierre de Coubertin is set to go up for auction in Cannes on July 26th. This is reported by Inside the Games. It's estimated to sell for as much as 100,000 euros. And you know what it wasn't? A doodle on a napkin. That's what I was hoping for. Oh, is it? Is it actually like a yeah. real sketch? Yeah, and a little color and... It looks wow. it looks nice. Yeah, because Darren Pierre wouldn't have done anything as gauche as doodling on a napkin. <laughs> Besides the fact that all the napkins then would have been cloth, but we won't even go there. Different medium. Moving on, we're just we're gonna wrap it up. Yeah, we gotta get it ready for our Zoom call. We do, we do. And this is kind of exciting. For our one year to go and all this year and through the Tokyo Games, we will be going out with new music. This is from the band Archdale. They are from Brisbane, Australia. And they wanted to share their song Tokyo with us. And we're really excited that they let us use it. And you can find out more about the band at archdalemusic.com or on their Facebook page at facebook.com slash archdalemusic. And we, of course, we will have links to those in the show notes and look for the video. We'll post the video on socials, too. And that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Let us know what you think about the IOC's agenda. Email us playalivepod at gmail.com or call our voicemail hotline at 208-FLAME-IT we're Flame Alive Pod on Twitter and Insta and keep the Flame Alive Podcast group on Facebook next week is book club so book club Claire is back for a discussion of Roy Tomizawa's 1964 thank you so much for listening and until next time keep the flame alive
projects. He's Dick Pound. <laughs> 